good morning. Four out of ten. That was like a four out of ten. Let's try it again. Good morning. There you go. It was like a seven. All right, guys, we are in, we're continuing our Kingdom Lifestyle series, and we're going to jump right in this morning. We're going to do some different stuff over the course of this message. We've got some stuff to cover, so we're going to jump right in. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 12. Um, If you grew up in youth group, then you probably have a t-shirt with these verses printed on them in like bleeding cowboy or papyrus font. If you don't know what those fonts are, then you... Just overlook the joke, it's fine. If you do, then you know you can tell a Christian coffee shop by the font in their logo. If it's got papyrus font, it's almost always a Christian coffee shop. Fun fact. Also, if it's called like Hebrews or Common Grounds or something like that, definitely a Christian coffee shop. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So this morning we come to you asking that your word and that your Holy Spirit through your word would illuminate your will for our lives and your ways to us. God, we ask that your name would be the only name that we know, the only name that we remember this morning, that your word would be the only thing remembered any ideas or perceptions or misconceptions, anything of mine, let it fall to the ground and let your truth be what's remembered. We love you. Amen. Where are the musicians at? Anybody a musician here? Okay, a few musicians. Anybody, like, play a guitar, but you're not really going to call yourself a musician, like you could make it make sounds if you really needed to? All right, cool, cool, awesome. That's kind of where I'm at, and I want to illustrate a musical point. There's a concept in music that has both psychological and theological implications. And rather than subjecting you to me trying my best to explain it and getting it wrong, I decided to consult an expert. So please welcome to the stage Jay Arrington, or the carpet. Welcome to the rug, Jay Arrington. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know, Jay is an audio engineer and producer. He owns Greenbrier Studios. He is a music professional. So what I've asked him to do this morning is to illustrate the difference between dissonance and consonance. Is that right? Awesome. He had to teach me that word this week. Um, So in music, there are notes, basically, that sound good together. Is that right? There's not the same notes, but they they make a full sound together. And there are notes that go together very naturally. They sound stable. They sound beautiful together. And they're called consonant harmonies. So... Jay is going to play us some consonant harmonies. Wow, I feel like I'm in like an indie flick. Like there's a romance scene about to happen, you know what I mean? Like we're in a walk to remember and someone's falling in love and something really bad's going to happen later. (laughs) Yeah. 
So there's consonant harmonies. Consonant harmonies sound good together. They sound whole. They sound complete. They sound resolved. You can play that by itself, and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's got to go somewhere, right? But then there's dissonant harmonies. Dissonance is when sounds create an instability. They go together, maybe, but they make you feel like we need a resolution. It makes the song feel like it's going to go somewhere. In other words, the, the, the notes don't sit naturally together. Does that make sense? Did I explain that right? Okay, awesome. Perfect. Jay's going to play us some dissonant harmonies. See, now the bad thing's about to happen in the movie, right? You see how that works? All right, dissonance is unstable. So when you play dissonance, it creates the feeling that it needs to resolve. I didn't ask you to do this. Can you play a dissonant harmony that resolves? Awesome. See that? Dissonance, consonance. One more time. See how it feels better when the consonance comes back into place? The instability is gone in the sound. Does that make sense? All right, give, give Jay a round of applause. <laughs> dissonance in music creates the need for a resolution. It's, insta- it's something that's unstable. In psychology, there's a term called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is what happens when we have ideas that don't seem to go together. Cognitive dissonance might happen in your life when a new idea, when you learn a new truth that contradicts something you've already believed. So now you feel the need to resolve those two things. You feel like something's unstable and it's out of balance in your life. So you have to do something to bring it into balance. Cognitive dissonance can also happen when our actions, for whatever reason, are not in line with our beliefs. When we're acting in such a way that doesn't line up, we feel unstable, we feel dissonant. Just like in music, dissonance is not always a bad thing because dissonance tells us where instability is and leads us towards resolution. Dissonance is a symptom that leads us where we need to go, but dissonance tells us that something is unstable. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you will almost inevitably experience dissonance in your life where the way you interact with the world does not necessarily line up with the things you claim to believe about the world. Now, keeping in the same pattern of consulting experts and consulting Arringtons, this week I asked Chelsea Arrington, our counselor, about cognitive dissonance. And she said something that blew my mind. You might have heard this before. This changed the whole concept to me. She said, oftentimes, when we experience dissonance, when we experience dissonance in our lives, when it feels like our actions don't line up with our beliefs, it's because we're not actually aware what our core beliefs are. And then she said this, we will always act in line with our core beliefs. Our actions always reflect what we believe about the world. Now, there might be outliers, but our consistent actions tell us what we believe about the world probably more accurately than what we think we believe tells us how we will behave. Now, sometimes those core beliefs are things we're not even aware of. 
But those course beliefs always shape the way we interact with the world. And as a follower of Jesus, this becomes one of the primary ways that we feel unstable, that we feel something we might call conviction, something the Holy Spirit uses to draw us into alignment with his ways and with his will in the world. We might, let's say you struggle with greed, you struggle with humility, you believe intellectually that, that, that generosity, that humility, that self-sacrifice is the right way to live, but you have such a hard time actually practicing that. Well, we could develop a core belief maybe from the home that we grew up in that tells us that success is defined by wealth and is defined by status and that that's the way we're valuable. So we might not even realize that that's how we interact with the world. And that our interaction with the world is telling us keep, gain, climb, get, even though Jesus is telling us give, sacrifice, deny, be generous. And we don't see the dissonance. We feel the dissonance, but we might not realize that there's a core belief. We might consistently struggle with, let's say, sexual purity in our relationships. We might be in a pattern of dating around and continually finding ourselves compromising on things that we thought we believed, making decisions that don't line up with what we say we believe. But we might not realize that when we were in middle school or high school, we learned that success was dating and that being valuable meant someone of the opposite gender needs to value you or affirm you. So now we're subconsciously seeking the affirmation of somebody else and we don't realize that we've got a value that seeks to be affirmed by other people and that that's driving our behavior even though we say we believe in the biblical guidelines of sexuality. Does this make sense? Cognitive dissonance. We will always behave in line with our core beliefs. So in other words, for our behaviors to change, our beliefs have to change. To resolve dissonance in our lives, our beliefs have to change first. Now you've probably heard, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it kind of becomes a clobber passage. It's like a club that we say, don't conform to the pattern of this world. How dare you? I told you not to. Why are you doing it again? Don't you know you're not supposed to conform? And then we look at our actions and we say, I'm trying my best to not conform. I'm doing everything that I can. And this passage creates a significant amount of cognitive dissonance where we try everything we can to change our actions, but we don't realize we've got core beliefs that aren't in line with those actions. So we live in a significant amount of dissonance. We live in maybe what we might call legalism, guilt, or shame because we're trying to act our way into alignment with God's kingdom. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 operates like a door hinge in the book of Romans. Paul, the guy who wrote the book of Romans, spent Romans chapter 1 through 11 accomplishing one thing, and then the focus of the book swings to a new position after Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The book of Romans was written to a group of believers that Paul had never met. There was a church that was formed in the city of Rome. Paul hadn't been there, and they didn't really have a teacher. He wanted to make sure they had sound teaching and sound instruction, so he wrote them the book of Romans saying, I hope to come visit you, but until I can, here's the basics of what you should believe and how you should behave. So he spends Romans chapter 1 through 11, 
all of this space in the book explaining really everything from the beginning of sin to the resolution of Jesus to the hope of transformation. He explains what we should believe about the world. He talks about sin. He talks about salvation. He talks about sanctification. He talks about living in the Holy Spirit. He talks about our hope for transformation and resurrection. He talks about it all in 1 through 11. It is a dense study on what we should believe. And just for the record, this isn't part of the sermon today, but I want to say this, that oftentimes passages from the book of Romans get taken out of context and used to prove a point. So we might take Romans chapter 7 or Romans chapter 6 and say, see, you will always struggle. You will never overcome that sin. Or we might, we take these out of context. And I just want to say this, if you're going to read Romans chapter 7 or 6 or 5 or 11 or 9, you have to read it in concert with Romans chapter 1 through 11. Because Paul wasn't making an individual point, he was lecturing. It was all in context. And taking Romans chapter 6 or Romans chapter 11 out of context and saying, this is our theology, is kind of like taking my sermon from last week, taking the first five minutes and saying, CJ preached about longboarding. It's in concert with a whole message. All right? Romans chapter 12 is a swing in position. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul begins an extensive instruction on what we are supposed to do based on what we believe. And he goes into great detail, getting very specific and easily applicable instructions for any person in any context of how we are to behave based on what we believe about the world. But this is how the swing takes place. I beseech you, brothers and sisters... Because of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So Paul says, everything that I just taught you can be summarized in God is merciful and loving to us. Because we know that God is merciful, our right response, biblically in the Old Testament, a sacrifice would either pay a debt or it would recognize a gift or recognize a relationship. Our debt has been paid through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this sacrifice should be like the sacrifice of Noah. When Noah acknowledged he was saved, he acknowledged God was merciful and then offered a sacrifice when he came out of the ark. A living sacrifice, because nothing has to die anymore, is our right acknowledgement of who God is and what God has done. He's saying, do you want to worship? This is how you worship. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice to acknowledge what's been accomplished, to acknowledge everything that I just taught you. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he gets to the clobber passage. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oftentimes when we teach this, basically what we mean is like sign a purity covenant, promise not to do drugs, um, and don't like skateboard and listen to secular music, right? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Here's something really interesting. The word we translate into English as transform is a Greek word that's only used four times in the Bible. The first two times it's used are in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark in what we call the transfiguration accounts. These are the stories, if you're not familiar, 
where Jesus, with a couple of his disciples, is revealed in his full glory as a preview or an acknowledgement or a foreshadowing of his glory and his divinity that would be affirmed, because it already existed, but it would be affirmed in his death, resurrection, and ascension, and the ultimate remaking of everything. Jesus was transfigured into his full glory, revealing the beauty and fullness of his kingdom and power. The other time this book is used, this word is used in the Bible is at the end of the book, 1 Corinthians. Paul also wrote that book, and he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about how we, when everything is made right, when Jesus comes back and restores everything, we will be resurrected. And he talks about us being transformed from glory to glory. So every other time this word is used in the Bible, it is used to mean a foreshadowing a revelation, a preview of the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and the ways of God in the world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather live your life as a window into the goodness and beauty of God. Because as you live your life as a window into his ways, then you will be able to determine what his will is, what his ways are. Then when you face those difficult, inevitable questions that we all wrestle with, where we say, what's what's the right thing to do? What's God calling me to do? Should I quit my job? Should I date this person? Should I move across the country? We are connected. We are transformed. We're living, revealing his ways in the world. So when we are acclimated to his ways, we are able to determine his will. It doesn't mean those are easy questions, but it means we are able to differentiate what are the expectations of the world and what are the ways of Jesus? What's the will of God? What would be a Christ-like thing to do in this circumstance? It dials our hearts in to the will of God so that we are prepared to interpret his will and his ways. But this is what's significant. How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Why? Because our behaviors reflect our core beliefs. And when we find a behavior that we can't change, that we keep feeling dissonant about, what it tells us is there's something that we don't believe about the character of God. There's something we don't believe about ourselves. There's something that we don't understand about who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing in the world. And the right response is not to struggle and strive and try and push ourselves and force ourselves into a legalistic expression of God's kingdom. The right response is to say, God, tell me who you are. Teach me to believe who I am so that I can behave in alignment with that truth. We are transformed when the way we see the world and the way we see ourselves comes into alignment with who God is, how he sees us, and how we see the world. Because if we continually subconsciously believe that we're just a failure, we're just an addict, we're just always going to fall short, we're never going to be able to change, we're always going to let the people down around us, we might not give words to those beliefs, but if that is the secret self-talk in our mind, then we're going to continue to behave as if that's true. But if we begin to align ourselves with the truth of Scripture that says, you are made in the image of God, filled by the Holy Spirit, and empowered to walk in righteousness because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you, then you will begin 
to behave as if that is true. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. No, but that means your patterns will begin to change as we come into alignment. See, a kingdom lifestyle begins in our minds being renewed into the ways of the kingdom. We will behave in line with our core beliefs. Do you believe in who God really is? Do you believe in who you really are? Do you believe in how the world really works? That's the question. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be weird. I'm going to prepare you for that. This is going to be weird. This is not something that we normally do. But for the rest of this sermon, rather than me just preaching to you all of the different things I think you should do to apply this, And we could do that. I could go through the rest of the book of Romans and hit the parts that I think are really important for society, and we might be able to get two or three of them, and it'd probably still take us another 45 minutes, and then we'd all be late for lunch. Here's what we can do. We're going to allow the scriptures to speak to us. Because when these books were written, when these letters were written, people didn't make copies and take them home and study them on their own. They might have all passed them around and read them individually, in the gathering, but primarily these books would be read publicly before the church, and you would trust the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to convict and form our hearts. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to spend the next five to ten minutes reading Romans chapter 12, verse 3, through Romans chapter 15. And we are going to allow the Word of God spoken over us and ministered to our hearts to reveal to us the dissonance in our lives. But we are going to have that dissonance revealed with the understanding that guilt and shame is not the response, but coming into alignment with the truth of Jesus is the response. Coming into alignment with the ways of Jesus is the response. Jesus is inviting us into a more beautiful, a better, a good, a more holy, a right way to view ourselves and the world. He is not inflicting a how dare you, how could you, I'm disappointed on our actions. Because of the cross. Amen? We live under the cross. Punishment is taken care of in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are invited into his ways because his ways are right. His ways are better. Sin is bad for us. It kills people and kills us. So as we do this, I'm going to invite you, if you need to close your eyes, to listen. If you need to pick a spot on the wall to stare at, if you need to follow along in your own Bible, whatever you need to do to receive the word spoken over you in the next few moments, do that. And as we do this, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one action, one instruction in which you are living in dissonance. Ask the Holy Spirit to make that line seem like, that phrase seem like bold print to you, to minister that to your heart. And then, rather than saying, I promise I'll do better, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to know about who God is or who you are so that you can begin believe in a way that lines up with this behavior. Ask the Holy Spirit to do that work. That work might not happen today. You might have that verse highlighted to you today, and then you might need to pray about it over the next few weeks. This might be something the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you in this season of life. But we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through his word, unaltered and unenhanced. Amen? Hear the word of the Lord. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. Agents of wrath who bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brothers or sisters? Why do you treat them with content? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgments on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Those who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We trust that your word and your Holy Spirit can draw us into your ways and your will. Convict us of where we have sinned that we may believe the truth of who you are and behave as if it really is true. Let your love and your mercy be what compels us to act. And we will praise you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.